I need to start out by telling you this. And I told our leadership team at our kids ministry banquet that I, Matt Rice, am incredibly clumsy. And I have a lot of examples that I could use for you to demonstrate or to tell you or to remind you or show you or communicate to you that I am extremely a clumsy person. Uh, I will give you the most recent example happened two weeks ago. I was on setup team and I'm on the setup team and so we get here at seven o'clock in the morning, we rotate, we bring carts in and then we start setting things up. If you've noticed that there are tables in the uh, children's area, right outside where you check in the children and also at the cafe, these tables are sort of curved and they have a little black thing on it, we call that a table skirt. Okay? And so this is what happened on this particular uh, Sunday morning two weeks ago. I was here setting up. It was around 7.15 in the morning. I was setting up the table all by myself. <clears throat> okay, did you get the picture? We could use your help on setup. All right, now, back to the story. So I'm setting up the table. I'm all by myself, and I look at the table. It's, it's upside down, and I flip up the legs like this. Then I got to flip it over, but nobody's around to help me. So I grabbed the table to try to flip it like this. So I tried to flip it. When I tried to flip it, I tried to kick it with this foot to kick it up like this. And when I kicked it up like that, 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 that table skirt got wrapped up in my foot. And I went down. I went, I'm going down. And about that time, our children's director over and looked at me and saw me going down and did nothing but laugh like you're doing. And not only our children's director did that, but she was leading the way for her daughter to do the same thing. And I was laying on the ground with this table on me. I do have a little cut right there. And that table was on me. What, what, what's the point of my story here this morning is, is we don't want you to clumsily walk through the summer. We know that each and every week through the summer series, you're going to have a different speaker that's going to be up here. But those messages are designed for you to passionately pursue Jesus, to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. Last week, Brian kicked it off beautifully with a personal message of himself for his verse that he used. This week, we're going to take a look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16, and how this verse became so special to me. And so this, again, this summer, we do not want you nor in your life, do we want you to clumsily just walk through. We pray that these verses that we'll be sharing will be motivation for you to evaluate and to passionately pursue Jesus. He has your greatest interest at heart. He loves you. He wants every part of you. He wants you to passionately pursue him. So that's what we're going to do. But I want to talk to you about my verse that we're going to camp out on today. It's Romans chapter 1 verse 16. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Romans, and he writes this, le this letter, and he starts off with this verse, and it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also the Greek. That's the verse that I pray I could say, and it be true. That's the verse that I want my life to say. I want to be able to say this verse like Paul said this verse, and I want to be able to say it and for it to be true. A little background of how I got to this verse is just a testimony, and I want to share that with you right now. So I was saved at 11 years old at a church in New York, and when I talk to you about being saved, I mean, I repented of my sins. I placed my faith in Jesus alone for salvation alone. It was April 3rd, 1983. Those of you that don't have a date of when you came to faith in Christ, please do not 
get wigged out or anything like that. We just want to make sure that it does happen, not necessarily that you have a date. I specifically remember the date that I gave my life to Jesus. And shortly after that, I realized that when I was a senior in high school, I went to a summer camp. And at summer camp, it was in Ridgecrest, North Carolina. So I'm in Connecticut now. That's where I'm living. Right before my senior year of high school, I go down to this uh, Ridgecrest, North Carolina, to what's called Centrifuge. And I'm there at the camp, and God just moved in my heart radically. And I remember standing on a bridge all by myself saying, God, I will serve you and I will go and I will do whatever you want me to do. It was at that moment that I felt like that God was calling me into full-time ministry. It's really what I wanted to do with my life. So my senior year, I go back home. It's my senior year of high school in South Windsor, Connecticut. And during that time, picking colleges and where we're going to college, and I chose to go to Gardner-Webb University, which is in Boiling Springs, North Carolina, 868 miles from my house in Connecticut. Two weeks before I came to Gardner-Webb, my parents were transferred to Charlotte, North Carolina. That was pretty neat how that all transpired. I got to Gardner-Webb, and it was a tremendous experience with a lot of great friends and folks. A lot of my friends really pushed me to, to really passionately pursue the Lord. After the college, I worked there for a little while, right before getting married, and in 1996, got married and went to seminary. And here's what happened in seminary. I realized for the first time that I was not passionate about seeing people come to faith in Christ. I was a seminary student looking to be some type of ministry leader. And I can tell you that I was not passionate about really sharing my faith. I felt like that, that was somebody else's responsibility. It simply wasn't mine. And so that was the fall of 1996, I was sitting in a classroom called Biblical Counseling 101. There was 90 people in the class. Next to me was my buddy, Chad Harvey. He's actually the pastor of Raleigh First Assembly right now. He's all over the radio too. And he's sitting next to me and I look at him and I'm going, Chad, I've just really been really frustrated. This place is so evangelistic. Everybody keeps talking about sharing their faith and sharing their faith and talking to people about Jesus. And I said, I just really understand something. Some people are evangelistic, some people are not, and I'm happy being one of those people that's not. And then I was miserable for six months. I could go into a lot of details right now, but I won't. But for six months, it was miserable. Because to be honest with you, the Great Commission is not given to a few pastors, it's given to believers. And that's why I was miserable. I was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, been a believer for a long time, and there's a part of my life that says, I don't really have a burden for you to come to Christ or for me to help you come to Christ. And then all changed, it started to change. March of 1997, my wife and I, it was Easter Sunday. It was late March and she's a pharmacist and so she was working, she was working 12 hour shift that day. She basically said, let's go to the sunrise service. We can go get breakfast and you can go back to church for the regular service. That's what we did. Went to sunrise service. I went to breakfast, took her to work that day, dropped her off. And as I'm leaving, there was this guy hitchhiking. And I just go, I'm going to pick him up. Not endorsing that. Okay. I'm just saying I was led by the Lord to just pick this guy up. I stopped the car. He opened the door. He said, thanks for stopping. I've got gout in my foot. And he said, I can hardly walk. Can you help me get to my house? Sure. I'm like 10 into, man. I'm like a new driver. I'm shaking like this and I'm going, share Jesus with him, share Jesus with him. I gotta say something, I gotta say something. This is my only chance. I've gotta talk to him about the Lord. And so all of a sudden, I just started talking. 
I mean, I just started talking, don't even know what I said. I just said, you know, Jesus loves you. He died for you. And I look over, glance over at him, and he says, I've been hoping that somebody would tell me that. He's got tears coming down his eyes. Pull off this car on the side of the road, right there in front of me, in my 1990 Honda Civic. James said, yes, I believe. Will you save me? Right in front of me. My church, we adopted him. We got him help. Tried to help him get back on his feet. We put him up in a hotel for a couple of times. And man, I want to tell you something. It was that day that the Lord birthed in me a burden for people to know Jesus and know him personally. I want you to be a disciple. But in order for us to be a disciple, we first have to sign up, right? We first have to say yes. And here it was that day where God used James, sitting in my car, to come to faith in Christ and I got used by the Lord to be a part of that. But let's make no mistake about it. It was not the eloquence of my words or the lack of them. It was simply the power of God that saved this guy. It's the power of God that saved this man. It wasn't my eloquence or me talking. It was what happened is my obedience and the sovereignty of God and the power of God aligned at that time on that day in my car for a beautiful lesson for me that radically changed, I believe, my course. Lord gave me a burden. I went to be a pastor of a church for nine years as the minister of evangelism. (laughs) That cracks me up. For nine years, I got to celebrate We got to see people and teach people how to share their faith. And it was an overwhelming moment to be sitting in that car and see that happen. And then several years later to become a minister of evangelism at a church. And so here's what I want to say to you as I said to you earlier. Paul made a declaration of this verse that we're going to talk about. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And I can tell you that up until this point of 1997, I felt like that I was ashamed. I felt like that I was. I felt like that since 1997, the Lord has, is continually refining my focus to really understand that the mission is about people. It's about the power of the gospel in people's lives. And people are the mission. And so... What I want to do with us this morning is I, I want us to really un, take a look at that verse. But before we do that is, is, is why do people, why do we not share our faith? What are some of the hindrances that, that sometimes we say, hey, I, I, I don't share my faith because I don't, you know, what? I think one of the reasons is people don't know how. Maybe we don't know how to share our faith. Maybe it's just, I don't know what to start. I don't know how to start. I don't know how to start the conversation going from the game last weekend to the gospel. I don't, I don't know how to open that conversation. And that's valid. I think maybe some of, the, some of the times is fear. I'm afraid I'm going to mess up. I'm afraid I'm not going to get it right. And that's valid too. Then there's also, I'm, I'm afraid or that there might be conflict that might arise from me bringing up this subject of salvation. There might be conflict. And, and I would say this. My evangelism professor said this in a recent book that he wrote. He said this, unchurched people are more amazed at our silence than offended at our message. Unchurched people are more amazed at our silence than offended at our message. Maybe one of the hindrances for you is this, is what if they ask me a question and I don't know how to respond? And I just sit there and go, listen, you're not the Bible answer man, you're an instrument of the God of the universe. What I hope is that maybe some of these questions might be answered by taking a look at where Paul was when he wrote this verse and how he came to write it. So let's look at Romans 1.16. We have the apostle Paul. And we know who Paul is. We know that he was one of the 
a radical terrorist of Christians. He was standing behind Stephen when Stephen was martyred for his faith. And Stephen said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Paul is standing over Stephen in Acts chapter 7 with his coat in his hand. Okay, in Acts chapter 9, Paul, who's on the way to Damascus, gets radically transformed. He has a moment where he experiences the power of God like never before. He's on this road to Damascus. He's going about his business. He's going to try to prevent people from following the way or Jesus. He gets knocked to his knees. He gets blinded. The Lord Jesus appears to him. The scales come off of his eyes. This guy in ice appears to him and says, you're going to be a witness to, to the Gentiles. Paul spends three years being trained, and then all of a sudden, he gets after it. He goes for it. We have so many books in the Bible. We have 27 books in the New Testament. A lot of them are letters, mostly book, not books. And so 27 books in the New Testament. Paul wrote 13 letters, and uh, I would say 14 with the book of Hebrews. We know that he was imprisoned at Philippi. He was chased out of Thessalonica. He was smuggled in a basket in Damascus and Berea. He was laughed at at Athens on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17. He was considered a fool in Corinth. He was declared a blasphemer and lawbreaker in Jerusalem. And he was stoned and left for dead in a city called Lystra. And here comes the next city. It's called Rome the most pagan city of the world to date. And here he stands and gives this statement at the beginning of his address to them, and he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew and for the Gentile. He makes that bold declaration. All of these things have happened to him and all over the world, and then he goes into the most pagan city, He's like, I'm not ashamed. So I think what we take a look at is why is he not ashamed? And I think we could take a look at hopefully this will encourage you and that you will get captivated by the beauty of the gospel, the power of God, and you'll get captivated by the individual aspect of this beautiful message. So here he is in the first verse it says, Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. So we have to understand who is Paul? Paul is a Jew of Jews. He calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's trained in the law. The law basically says in order for you to be a follower of God, there are 613 laws. He teaches this. He's trained in this. There's 613 laws, and what you have to do is you have to follow every single one of them. Don't miss any of them or you're in trouble, right? And so he's very caught up in living by the law. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Jew of Jew. And so here he, he, gets, he has this message, and this message is down. He's trained by a guy by the name of Gamaliel. He knows that message, the Jewish message. The Messiah will come, and the Messiah will come and free us from Roman bondage. That's what he's going to do. Paul was overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. In, he was overwhelmed by the beauty of the gospel because the gospel pro proclaimed a radically different message than the one that he was living by. How do you get favor by God? was so different from what, the way Paul was raised to the way that the gospel invaded his soul. He, how, how do we see that? He uses the word gospel. The word gospel, when you break it down, I'll just give you the English word, it's good news. All of our students that have come through Northwest Kids, they make sure, Laird and Neil and Angie and us, we make sure that they come away and know that the word gospel means good news. In order to know good news, we gotta know bad news. We have to really understand and appreciate the bad news, because when we know the bad news, it makes us really, really, really excited about the good news. 
And the bad news is, is that we're separated from God because of sin. Ephesians says that we're not broken, we're dead. Say it again, we're not broken, we're dead. That's what Ephesians says. It says in, in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are separated from the holy God of creation because of sin. That's a sin nature that causes us to sin. And that does not put us in right standing between a holy God. And there's got to be something that's done about that. And according to the Jewish way, what you do is you obey laws, obey laws. And then Paul gets introduced. In Acts chapter 9, he gets introduced to a different way. And it basically is revealed in Romans 5 verse 8, which says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'll back up to the first part. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then Paul gets overwhelmed so that he can say, I am not ashamed of the gospel because what he saw was he saw dead people come alive. He saw himself come alive. He saw rules and regulations in order to get to God, which just doesn't do it. And then he saw the overwhelming grace that, you know, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says, according to the scriptures, Christ died, he was buried, and according to the scriptures, he rose again. And all of these come together for Paul to see and to compare the way that he was living to this beautiful message of the gospel. So he goes into Rome and says, for I am not ashamed, because this message is beautiful. Let me ask you a question right now. Have you gotten over the beauty of the message? Because it's not so much that you could be saved, it's so much that anyone could be saved. And Paul is stating very clearly and very boldly all throughout his lessons, all throughout his books right now, that there is a message and it is the gospel. We are separated from God, that God's wrath and God's judgment is upon us. And then Jesus, fully God and fully man, came and took our place. He came and took our place. He came and paid a debt that we could not owe. This is the gospel. There is no other. The gospel is complete only when it talks about the wrath and the judgment and of God and the sin of man and the love and grace and forgiveness of Jesus. It has to have those two things. Any elimination of one does not make it the gospel. Paul was coming into a situation in a place where he, had, was, he was exposed to the gospel of the time. There was Gnosticism, which believed that there was a knowledge that you had to achieve to be saved. There was legalism, which was you follow these rules and you're a follower of God. You know, Paul addressed that in Galatians when they were saying, Jesus plus this, this, this equals salvation. And Paul was coming back going, no, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's what he was saying. Don't add anything to it. But then again, don't take anything away. Don't take anything away. Second thing I want you to see is the beauty of why could Paul stand before and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He says the power of God. It is, it is the, the power of God. The gospel is the clear demonstration of the power of God. You and I have been able to read the Bible and Paul was familiar with different accounts of the power of God in the Bible. We can see the parting of the Red Sea. Power of God is clearly seen in that. We can see the little boy with the bread and the fish. And we can see the multiplication and the feeding of the 5,000 and the fragments left over and all the people that are fed. We can see that's the power of God. 
we can see Lazarus being raised from the dead and we can see that, yes, that's the power of God. But to Paul, the power of God is most clearly seen in the gospel when dead people come alive. And that's why he could say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to salvation. Not the eloquence of our words or the memorized approach or whatever the case is. It is the power of God on display when dead people come alive. And the word power, I love that this is seen in the Greek. In the Greek, the word dunamis is used when he says the power of God, which is where we get our English word dynamite. So what he's talking about here is that when someone comes to faith in Christ or they, they give their life to Jesus, he's saying that that is explosive. That is the explosive power of God in someone's life when dead people come alive. And see, Paul had never gotten over that so that he could stand and say, hey, guess what? I know I've been beaten, I've been persecuted, lowered down through a basket, I've been stoned, I've, I've done all those things, all the things have happened to me, and now I'm going into a place that's really hostile to Christianity. But I want you to know something. I'm not ashamed to go into this place, this pagan culture. I'm not ashamed to go in there and proclaim this message because I'm not ashamed of it because it's a beautiful message and I'm not ashamed of it because it gives the display of God's power. It is a clear display of God's power to all people who will see it. I, I think you and I can basically say that our goal as humans, that we would love to see change. We have an innate desire to see change in our lives. You know, we wanna get thinner, we wanna get stronger. We wanna grow more hair. There's all kinds of stuff that we want to do in, in order to help us get better. Advertisers understand that there is an innate desire between you and I to that we want something more. And so the advertiser's role is to try to convince you that what they provide, they can give it to you. For instance, let me just say this right now. You've seen ads on Facebook or YouTube or anything like that for what's called apple cider vinegar. Maybe you don't know anything that I'm talking about, but let me explain to you what happens right now. I've been trying to work out a lot, and so trying to get in shape and work out, and so there's this thing that I saw on Facebook, and it's called apple cider vinegar, and dads, this is my gift to you on Father's Day. So apple cider vinegar, if you take this before you work out, you will not have a gut forever. It'll eat away. I mean, hey, look at this picture of Jonah Hill. He's a fat slob, and guess what? Look at him now. He drank apple cider vinegar, and you can do that. Because inside of you, you have a desire to change and have six-pack abs and biceps and triceps and the whole idea, and you just drink this concoction. And so here's what happened. I went to the store. Not lying to you. I'm confessing right now. It's this church. I went to the store. I got apple cider vinegar. I got me some vitamins and, and stuff, and I got out there. It's five o'clock in the morning. I'm getting ready to go work out, and I'm sitting there going, okay, I gotta take my, my, I gotta take my medicine. I gotta take this apple cider vinegar. And I was like, that is disgusting, okay? And I was like, okay, okay, you just, you gotta give it a couple more days. You gotta give it a couple more days. And then, I mean, all it is, is like, like 45 days, and you're gonna have like abs of steel. And so I'm just like, yeah, okay, here. So I'm gonna, so I get up the second day. And I'm like, okay, I gotta do this again. Maybe if I hold my nose or if I chase it with something, then it'll be better. So I did it and I dry heaved three times. <laughs> it was horrific. 
I was like, so there's a full bottle or maybe <laughs> four tablespoons that are missing out of an apple cider vinegar bottle in my refrigerator that you can have, dads, if you would like to try it. M- maybe if you stick to it, maybe you can have the six pack abs or whatever the case may be. But here's what happens. Here's what happens. A lot of times what goes on here is that, here's it is, we try to do things that doesn't have the power to change what really needs to be changed. We take things and we try things that doesn't have the power to change what really needs to be changed. What needs to be changed is our standing before God. And Paul is overwhelmed that that took place because of the power of God. And it is the power of God that can only change your standing and my standing before a holy God. It is the only thing that can do that. It is that type of explosive power that can do only what he can do. Let's not spend so much time on trying to change things that aren't really the issue. Let's address things that really are the issue. And so here, here's the question for you right now. Do you want your life to be a display of the power of God? Yes, I know you do. I know that you want your life to be an absolute display of the glory of God, of the power of God. And so here, what Paul is saying is that he is so overwhelmed at the beauty of the message. And he's overwhelmed because that message demonstrates The absolute power of a holy God. It demonstrates the power of a holy God. And I want your life and I want my life to be a demonstration of that power. And the next thing I want you to see is this, is the gospel is personal. What I was overwhelmed when I was studying this week, and I'd come across just in my study notes, just some things I really haven't seen before. Paul uses the word believe, which is what we get our word faith. And it's an ongoing trust in who he is. And so there is an unbelievable trust that Paul has, but here's what I want you to see is, he says, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And what I want you to see is that that is singular, it is not plural. He's not talking that it's like the power of the gospel is seen to the Jews and to the Greeks, although it is. What Paul is saying in this text is, it is for an individual. You know what, it's for you, it's for you. It's for me. And Paul, because he's from a Jewish background, is wrapped up. He's wrapped up in the covenant that you have with the Jewish community and the covenant with the Jewish people. But then he comes down and he sees this verse and he sees that there is a beautiful message and it's the power of God. And then he sees that the message is for who? It's for all people who will believe. It's for the Jew, the individual Jew, that person that walks by him at the market. That person that sits next to you in in your office, the one you pass by all the time. Maybe you go to the same gas station and you go to the same coffee shop and you see the same people every day. The gospel is for that person. And so here Paul is making a very bold claim that the gospel is for all people. It was this verse and the next one, verse 17, if you have time to read, that Martin Luther was overcome when he came to realize that it wasn't by works that we are saved, but it is by justification, by faith. And he wrote his theses and tacked them up on the wall. This verse was critical to him. But I I ask you the question, what are you gonna do or how are you gonna apply this message? How are you going to apply this message in your life? I've got a couple of things first. How do you talk to someone about the Lord? First thing I want you to see is this, ask questions and listen. Ask questions and listen. It should be more of a conversation than a presentation. Ask them the question if they say, well, I don't believe in God. Then ask them the question, how did you get to that place? How did you get there? 
Because a lot of times when people, when you're talking to people about a relationship with Christ, a lot of times they're, they're looking at you because you just want to give them an answer or you want to make a presentation as opposed to just being in, interested in them as an individual, as a Jew or a Greek. I was so encouraged by when Brian was talking to us in staff meeting this past week, he encountered a guy who was working on his mother's car. And as he had talked about last week, being up there and helping his mom out. And he went over, a guy was having a bad day, and Brian just went up to him and asked him, can I pray for you? You have no idea what that conversation may open when you just simply ask questions. And I would say this, do good work and deeds as a Christian. Make sure you understand that God does not need your good works, but your neighbor and your coworker, they do. Your neighbor and your coworker, they need to see your good deeds. Not for your salvation, but because of your salvation. I would say that don't cut corners. Don't talk filthy and then turn around and say, hey, want to go to my church this weekend? We got a great church and I'm real active there. That is a, be careful. Do good work. And then when you get a chance to open your mouth, it won't be a contradiction. Have a mission field mindset about where you live and work. You live and you work because God sovereignly positioned and placed you there. Anybody could be in that house and somebody else could have your job. But you are there for a reason and you're there for a purpose. And I would say that purpose is to proclaim and abstain. Proclaim the name of Jesus and abstain from things that keep you from doing just that. Proclaim and abstain. And then, I, not lastly, but it's the last point is this. I would say this, pray. Pray for opportunities that God would give you an opportunity to in the power and the confidence and the courage to open your mouth to talk to people that simply don't know who he is. Ask the Lord to give you confidence to do just that. I wrote this sort of scenario. And whether you were alive at the time that I wrote this or not, then you'll, you'll get the picture and I think you'll get the point. But I want to put you in a hypothetical situation. And you're going to be faced with a question at the end. But I'm going to read this. And I'm going to ask you to put yourself in this position. For the moment, I want to ask you to go back in time. Let's say that you're working in New York City in 2000. You got a killer job right out of college. And you're living in New York City. And you're having the time of your life. You go to work on this day. September 11th, 2001. Your office is the first tower. You're in the first tower and you get to work about 8.30 in the morning. You get to your desk and you take a sip of coffee. You are ready to tackle the issues of the day. Then, at 8.45 in the morning, everything changes. A loud explosion shakes your building around you. It's 8.45 a.m., Screaming, smoke, confusion, and the like are all around you. You see people in need of help. You're knocked all the way across your office and you come to your senses and look around. Everyone is frantic. Everyone is asking, how do we get out of here? The stairways are blocked, someone yells. The elevator doesn't work. I smell fuel. Somebody screams, there's fire. And smoke is everywhere. However, where you are or where you have been sent after the explosion, you see an exit. You see a way out. You find out that it is the only one on your floor that that is the way out. What are you going to do in that situation? Guaranteed every single one of you in here would scream frantically, over here, over here 
over here. You get out over here. May we have the same urgency with where God has sovereignly positioned and placed us so that we will tell people, he's over here, he's over here. You can be delivered from absolutely everything because of the power of God. Let us be able to say with power, with boldness and conviction, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, for the Jew and the Gentile. In Jesus' name, let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. And we are privileged to be able to know this message, to experience this message, and to be saved by the message. We here at this church, we are absolutely committed to a relationship with Jesus, that a relationship with God that is only possible through Jesus. God, if there is anybody in here right now, I pray that today they wouldn't leave this service without maybe coming down and talking about what it means to be saved. And for those that have been convicted by their stand for you and want to learn what it means to share you with their friends, I pray that you would give them the boldness and the confidence and the power to do just that. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for its beauty. We thank you for uh, it being a display of your power. And we thank you that people are the mission. Let us never get over that. In Jesus' name, amen.